0: Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J-10 Initiative. Alright, welcome to the podcast. Father John.
1: Father Mike here.
0: Father Mike, and uh, we're in a new locale. And this is the first time I've recorded here uh, with you.
1: Oh, well, I think we had this conversation with
0: Gobel. Oh, because you guys already did this. Yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. So Spiritu-
1: we're in uh, the beautiful Spirituality Year Yearhouse right. in Denver, overlooking the Sweet Tower of St. John Vianney Theological Seminary.
0: It is a beautiful tower, isn't it?
1: It's fantastic. you got these huge angels on guard at the top. Um, it's it's um, glorious in stature.
0: It is. And uh, at one point, this was way out of the city. Remember Bob Hurley? Bob Hurley worked at the seminary for a bit, and he grew up in this neighborhood, and he said this was all fields. You know? Yeah. Right now we're right in the middle of the city. Well,
1: tell the story of the seminary.
0: Uh, well which part of it the KKK yeah the KKK yeah they uh,
1: I think that's why they selected the locale
0: right a lot of uh, Denver in the early years was uh, a lot of the, the influential politicians were members of the KKK and they hated uh, the Catholic Church amongst other uh, groups ethnicities and uh, denominations but um, at one point they were threatening um, if we were to build a seminary they'd burn it to the ground
1: yeah, and so, these threats were public. They were in the news in the right, newspapers right. for Denver.
0: So I think it was Bishop Tien. Does that sound right? Yeah. One of these guys. I don't know. He was a baller. Regardless, he said, all right, we're going to build it out of brick so you can't burn it down. So it's this beautiful brick building, and then the uh, uh, tower was kind of... Uh,
1: well, and he picked the highest point in South Denver because uh, it was a little bit remote, Right. but it was... Um, sitting on the top, right, overlooking the mountains, but overlooking the city. And it was something of a statement. Yeah. Here we are.
0: Exactly. We're not going anywhere. And, uh, yeah, we're proud to be here. It was the uh, the is run by the Vincentians, built under them a religious order. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, the, I would say the majority of the seminaries in the United States, at one point, were foundations from communities that exist in about a f- half-mile radius in Paris.
1: Oh, really? So
0: the Sulpicians... Right. And the Vincentians, right? Did you ever go to Saint-Sulpice? Uh,
1: I don't think I did.
0: It's a famous church in um, in Paris neighborhood, and then the Vincentians, where St. Vincent de Paul is buried, they're right there, n- next to Rudebach It's a
1: oh, okay. I've been lovely there.
0: spot, yeah. And uh, But it's just crazy how out of that one little pocket, the majority of the seminaries in the late 19th century, early 20th century were founded, including our own, which was here until 1995, I think. Sounds right, and then ninety nine archbishop Shep you refounded the seminary of which there are many illustrious uh,
1: i don't know and not so illustrious illustrious
0: uh graduates uh, but we are back here now teaching and uh and podcasting
1: there it is well, I love the um, that there was once upon a time well i don't know what kind of improvidence how this works, but uh, upon a time the Vincentians um, having this charism of education and service to the poor, Vincent de Paul, mm-hmm. uh, they were their their charism, if you will, was their mission was seminary formation. They were a whole order dedicated to seminary formation, or I mean, they are, but they've kind of died out. So. Right, right. Um, it's interesting just to think like there's this balance between. Um, having religious orders do formation for priests because they're specifically uh, vowed to poverty, chastity, and obedience and really live more of a like a, a monastic life of prayer. And then, on the other hand, like, the reality of diocesan priesthood is working in parishes, working with one foot in the world and maybe, I don't know, 75% of ourselves in the world and then um, kind of fighting for that... Uh, Spiritual life, right? And so there is some kind of wisdom or providence, I think, in this sort of contemplatives in action, Mm -hmm. but kind of leaning toward the action. I mean, seminary is still really a hub of prayer. It's kind of the engine. And really the formation, like the foundation of formation for guys. But I think it's interesting that um, there wasn't like an order that replaced the Vincentians and came up as... Like, four meters. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true, isn't it? At least here in the United States. Yeah,
0: I don't, not that I'm yeah, aware of. And if you read, like, um, Willa Cather's Death Comes to the Archbishop, or these stories of kind of the the Wild West and the church kind of making its way, you understand why there was a religious order dedicated to this. Even in the countryside of France, I think that's why St. Vincent de Paul dedicated the mission, uh, the Congregation of the Mission, I think is what it was called. Hmm. Uh, the Vincentians uh to this focus and to this topic. And then yeah, but it is it, it's interesting that you would have diocesan priests formed by religious in right. the councils. Because as Gronsky used to say about the Jesuits, which you could apply to us, we're of the world but not in it, as yeah. as he would always joke. So the uh yeah, it's, so it's interesting we got a long history here. Um it's crazy. I took saxophone lessons five blocks from here in middle school. Oh really? Yeah, this guy mixolydian, uh, Chuck.
1: mixolydian jazz Frogs. Mixolydian
0: jazz frogs. Yeah, you could have seen us featured on uh, Saturday afternoons at AMC24 movie theater. Yes. Working for popcorn and uh, movie free tickets. movie tickets. Uh, playing. That was
1: a sweet deal. It
0: was. It was great. But uh, a guy named Chuck Schneider, great guy, just one of these, just like, you know, humble uh, salt of, salt the, of the, earth. the earth kind of guys, literally lived right over there. And, uh, so I would get sax lessons, and my dad and mom would walk, and they had no idea what this grounds was. I mean, nobody knew what it was. Ah, because but they would this, walk the grounds. But this was this was before the new seminary, so this was in the interim period. So it wasn't anything.
1: But the buildings were there.
0: Buildings were here, but it was cobwebs and oh wow, it was in bad shape. Only Sean Inners was here, starting to clean things up <laughs> and getting the He's uh, done well, getting Thank the you, seminary Sean. going. Yeah, this, Sean Inners was one of the first professors to rebuild the. So what is sax?
1: lessons looks like, look like. It we did why did your sister and your brother play too?
0: Uh Steve played trumpet and okay. uh Katie played the flute, but you know.
1: Same teachers?
0: Yeah, we had this great middle school um jazz teacher named uh or band teacher named Joe Andres. And Joe is Joe is also a professional jazz musician. Formerly Catholic, uh Buddhist now uh, as they are, but we he and I still meet for sushi 20 years later and Whoa. have very interesting conversations. Um great guy. But Chuck Schneider was his friend, so I'd come over to Chuck's place on Friday afternoons. And uh, we did the same thing. So Charlie Parker, you know him, Charlie Parker, great bebop jazz musician, amazing saxophonist. Um, They transcribed all of his solos, improvisational solos. Mm. So we would learn them and practice them, and that was kind of our thing.
1: And then you learn to... To riff on it,
0: and then you learn All your own solos, but you can't because Charlie Parker would like take a line of cocaine, and then he'd do these solos. And when you see him, you'd realize they didn't
1: teach you that way. When you were I didn't.
0: I, I was, <laughs> I was probably preparing for that, knowing what was coming later, but that was not part of the uh, curriculum. But uh, Chuck, yeah, he was a great guy. And but it's just funny how the last twenty years of my life have basically been located in this place. And it's one of those moments, where, like if you could go back and say you're going to be a priest working here, you know, to a middle schooler be like hell no, I'm not going to Yeah, be doing that. there's yeah. no
1: way. So. Well, who knows what life will bring. Right. The uh did you ever get to the point where you could jazz like really jazz, like improv with your group or was it like sheet music prepared songs? No, we
0: would improv, but um I personally never really moved beyond certain scales. Okay. So like there's like the B flat, you know, uh scales and these different things and because the the you know the chords happen so quickly, so you're moving from you know G to E to B minor whatever it is, and um, I just never really had the uh, and the ability other guys to, the other, other guys, guys were guys? good yeah oh really so I didn't play saxophone in the mixed jazz jazz. Oh that's
1: right, you played keys,
0: played keys because Mike Bailey was way better. So and he's actually a professional jazz musician now in New York City. Do you so. ever
1: feel like you should keep up with this saxophone?
0: I I, I don't the chops are gone, man. Oh, I think okay. it's probably still sitting in my parents' basement, but.
1: What about your siblings? You know, I, in in junior high, my school had just started, right? I was at the parish school, St. Thomas More. Right. And we didn't have all the instruments. So everybody played a recorder. Oh, yeah. Which is the worst instrument in the world. Yes. I mean, it squeaks <laughs> like a junior high kid's voice. Yeah. I mean, it's the junior high kid instrument.
0: So you, you only did recorder? You didn't do anything else?
1: Just recorder. Oh, man. And I was bad at that. It was like a terror on my parents. Hot cross buns. Hot cross... <laughs> <laughs> that's like the music they play in hell <laughs> you know what i mean
0: like squeaking yeah nobody ever really makes it on the recorder do they you don't ever it's like no. that guy's gonna he's gonna do it he's gonna he's gonna be the recorder you know, guy really yeah
1: yeah i mean i i'll give it to you if some rock band out there can Needs work a, in a recorder a recorder without any like augmentation from electronics or that something, might
0: be just weird enough to make it nowadays you know i think so yeah
1: I think so. Well, I'll try out. Yeah, you know. No, it's been a long time. Plus I got these shaky hands.
0: The shaky hands. That's not good cuz you got to cover the
1: little holes and I don't know. But you
0: can play guitar, right? right Even with right. the shaky hands. No, I'm
1: I'm picking it up again. So you guys doing, been
0: jamming over there at
1: the new house? We have not, but I'm you know, I really intend to do so. Yeah. We're you know, we're going to start doing these formal um, companions holy hours with um, songs and chanted uh, psalms with the guitar accompaniment. Right? All right. So I need to learn it again. i
0: have got to learn it again.
1: But I, it's, I'm, I'm... Your
0: fingers are going to be hurting. I'm
1: pretty rusty. I was never any good. These guys... Okay, so I was in a house with Father John Nepple and Father Matt Book and Father Brian Larkin and myself. And the only time they would let me play was Fridays because Friday. there was penance for everybody. <laughs>
0: Friday mornings. That just so happened. Book assigned you on Fridays. Whatever. I don't know. You might be putting that together. But, um, yeah, you've got to get the jam, the jam gym going.
1: Oh, yeah. Jam Jam. Actually, I found out that that's already happening. The Jam Gym? Yeah, there's something there's something locally, I forget the name of these places, Wild Crow's Nest or something like uh, that. Oh
0: yeah. If you've uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, Father Mike it has an entrepreneurial spirit, I would yeah, say. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, he's always got new ideas. The jam gym, though, hey, he, that was not to... well received by friends. It's basically a place where people come together and bring their recorders and bongo jumps and just go.
1: Anything. You, you, know, you dust off that instrument on your shelf, your saxophone, brother. I might come. And then uh, you show up and everybody's playing these progressive chords. You can do beginner, intermediate, advanced, and you just come along and you jam. You get to use all of that uh, musical skill that you had once upon a time and that you haven't you know, developed, you haven't practiced. Right. It's like, you know, everybody plays sports when they're a kid, and then at some certain point you get weeded out, and then you join leagues. Right. So you keep going. Or you find, like, um, activities that you can do independently. Like, I can run or bike or whatever. Right. But, you know, with the instrument, people just give up. Do you think people still... Come to the Jam Jam. Get a subscription at the Jam Jam.
0: Do you think people still jam? Because, I tell you what, in the 90s... There's a lot of jam. That was the the height of jam. A season of jam. I mean, think about, I I went to this wonderful pizza place called Esther's um, with Whitney Lyle. It's right by her house. And um, the whole menu is fish songs. It's named after fish songs. I was like dying because it was the first time I've ever been to a restaurant where I couldn't order out of preference of food.
1: It was. I was so emotionally connected,
0: (laughs) so I ordered a terrible pizza because it was called "Divided Sky," right? And I was thinking about Evan Coop's sister, who is a wonderful Fish fan, also. But we're talking. I think, but that was the season. That was. Those were the days of Jam, right? I played that song, uh, and it's like a twelve-minute song. Well, that's what I was going to say. I
1: think it would be poetic justice. If they took like twenty five minutes to make your pizza, <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> and each each like you know each uh, topping was put on the pizza and then taken and then off, take off, and then something else was thrown <laughs> in there,
0: that's very clever.
1: Yes. Okay. Try this one. You want entrepreneur? Uh, it's called uh, spring chicken. Spring chicken. So, uh, <laughs> I've been driving around looking for you know you you don't have a lot of time. You need some fast food, right? Right. But all of the fast food in the world is unhealthy. Like, okay, I confess. I got a spicy chicken sandwich this evening. And it was I, I was pressed for time.
0: At your, old, got, at your old stomping grounds, Wendy's? W- Wendy's. Okay.
1: And it's a delicious sandwich, but it's not healthy. Yeah. Like, I had the confirmation mass, and then I got to get over here to record. And so I stop at Wendy's. Well, okay, so this is unhealthy. You can't do this very often, but people are pressed for it. They have to. So why don't we get a healthy alternative? Because I'm no, I'm no spring chicken. So here's what I'm thinking. You get, you know those spring rolls with the like clear um, rice paper? Yep. And then they pack them with the bean sprouts. And right. They, they, put them, they put the like sweet carrots in there. And you got those uh, noodles, like the cold. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. And then, um, and some like, there's some herbs or something. I think they put some herbs in there, cilantro or okay. something. Okay. Okay, so just imagine you make a big one of those, the size of a, a chipotle burrito. Okay. And you pack it with like a teriyaki chicken and all of those sweet vegetables and everything. It'd be super fresh.
0: Spring it's, chicken. It's called
1: the spring chicken. That's the sandwich. Now- And that's all you get there.
0: Right. That's like the thing. A,
1: a little short stand like a good times.
0: You have one option. And you get one option. You're getting a spring chicken.
1: And a sweet tea.
0: You know what? watching some friends of ours make decisions i think they would love not having decisions like brady and that's i were it. at a, brady and you i were at a friend's up, house getting a spring and i love this they she was like do you want mayonnaise on your sandwich did you want turkey or ham do you want pepper jack cheese american cheese and he was just like uh,
1: uh, yeah do you want
0: water do you want tea did you want milk did you get you? He was like, yeah. overwhelmed. too many decisions
1: i walk into snarfs and i see this board that's like a hundred different things and i just walk out
0: now you've already got a, a you got a new chicken place right by Lord's there, right by where you live. Have I never you been tried there? it there? No. You know what I'm talking about?
1: Never tried it? Yeah, it's called Bird Call.
0: Bird Call. You but haven't no. tried Bird Call though. No,
1: I haven't been through there. But the the spring I chicken see, I don't the I whole, don't do a lot of like eating out and right. fast food stuff.
0: The concept is it's a spring roll. Yeah. They, that's the size of a burrito. Yes. That's that's novel.
1: And it's all like fresh. Right. You know, it's all it's mostly vegetables and then you got some chicken in there. Yeah, Ooh. Well,
0: I chicken. think you should try it out for Lord's Day.
1: <laughs> well, I, it's going to have to t- take some like custom,
0: custom uh, spring like
1: uh, rice paper uh-huh. that's like the size of a table, you know, one of those round tables because there's you know it takes a lot of that stuff. Plus, they're really delicate. Have you ever tried making spring roll? No. You have to like, so you gotta wipe it down with water and it becomes translucent, but Uh it becomes extremely sticky. Oh, that's the. So then you have to roll it with this perfect care. Okay. And if you don't, it sticks together to itself, it sticks to your fingers, it's just a mess. It's very difficult to do, actually.
0: The only thing I would, I'm just. I'm not a teriyaki guy. It's like, does it have to be teriyaki? No, it have to I mean, be that teriyaki. was what, okay. That's no, what you said. We can talk about that. Okay, I just want to put in my two cents. You know, it's before the, it's the, the concept. Spring chicken. No,
1: you know, I need to be able to sell it. Right. You know, some wh-
0: people love teriyaki. You get
1: on Shark Tank. You can't say teriyaki when half the population hates teriyaki.
0: Right. That's true. Do my whatever. sister
1: says she doesn't like cilantro. Okay. And she says for some people it tastes like soap.
0: Oh man, cilantro
1: like an allergy thing.
0: Cilantro is amazing. What I don't think you should put in there is parsley. There was a bit of a mix-up over our our last house dinner where Father CJ Mask and Father, uh, not to be confused with PJ Mask. Do you know who PJ Mask is? Paw Patrol? Uh, Your nephews are too young. No, CJ
1: was telling me it's Paw Patrol.
0: Paw Patrol. Yeah, he's a dog. My nephews thought PJ Mask had been ordained a priest, and they were just dying, loving this. So CJ Mask and Chris Constantine. a little mix-up. Supposed to to I think arugula in the salad, and instead we got a parsley salad. Have oh. you ever had a parsley salad? It's
1: I don't think so. It's Well, terrible. it's not meant to be.
0: I don't think I, I couldn't even believe that some King Super's employee let this poor child buy that much parsley. You know what I mean? Think about you're making yeah. salads for six guys out of parsley.
1: Well, here's a food problem I ran into. So I had a, I had a barbecue for my family yesterday. Great fun. And we did, uh, we did hamburgers, we did hot dogs, and we did brats, right? So I go to the store, I get all the stuff. Well, we have limited fridge space at our house. We just moved in, you got six guys living in there, and we got a small refrigerator. Right. So I ran into this problem. People like pickles huh. on their burger. I like pickles right. on my burger. Right. But if you, get, you go to the store, and the pickle jar is huge. You got to get like a five-gallon bucket of pickles, okay? I just want like maybe twenty pickles slices, Right. right? And that's enough because I don't barbecue all the time, and I got no room in my fridge. Can someone package like two pickles worth of slices?
0: Maybe that's something you can buy or receive at Spring Chicken. Hey, there you go.
1: No, I just want this in the grocery store. You know, you got, you got. We've gotten to the point. Where our race, our human race, has advanced to the point in technology where we could have um, single slices of cheese. You don't have the huge block. You got a machine that cuts it up. Why can't we have single slices of pickles?
0: Yeah, that's true. You should be drinking that pickle juice after your big. You did that monster ride yesterday.
1: I Uh, did a big ride. These
0: guys, these crazy men, biked up Mount Evans yesterday. And uh, but pickle juice—that's the best thing for after a long ride. They say
1: yeah. It, it takes care of the soreness. I guess so. I think it's the electrolytes and the pickles. Ah, and they're savory, go. so they're just like really tasty and enjoyable. So it's like a little joy after a lot of pain.
0: Yeah, that's true. You know, Mike, I was thinking about uh, 10 years of podcasting. I don't ever remember so consistently talking about food as we have oh, since really? Goble became a member of the podcast. It seems well, like every we're always kind of moving back towards that. Maybe that's part of the quarantine thing is like... No, nope. all we can talk Not about much is exercise and eating because nobody else nobody knows what to do. So,
1: I don't know. Maybe with that, so much exercise, I'm more interested in food. Maybe that's it. Yeah, I don't know. These guys pushed me to the brink. That was Father Brian Larkin, he was just racing up the hill. I'm Guess trying here. to keep up. Father Jason Wunsch, he's racing up the mountain, trying to keep up. Uh, well, I'm trying to do 2,020 miles in 2020. Okay. So then I ask, I ask Father Jason. He's sitting over there at the table eating his whatever candy bar that he has daily um, as his only food source.
0: Right, and that's his one meal.
1: Okay, so I say, well, I'm getting pretty close to my six-month goal. You know, how many, how many miles have you done? He's already at like 2,500. That's crazy. I'm trying to be like 1,000, and I thought this was like a big accomplishment, but I don't know. You bikers, you probably Father have. Joseph. You got wild. over two thousand. You
0: copy him, or he copy you? He's doing the twenty twenty.
1: I like to think that he copied me, but we'll we, just, we share the same goal.
0: We'll leave it at that. But you have the same goal. You're on track. Things are looking good.
1: Yep. Well, all's well, except the bugs in your mouth. Yeah. But anyway, riding. Okay, so we bantered enough about food.
0: I got a bead down the shirt while I was going Dead. down a mountain. Did it sting you? Yeah. Oh, that was you're going about 30 miles an hour oh and that boy. thing flies in gets you in the shoulder you're trying to get i mean it was oh boy a bit touch and go there so did
1: anyways you get it out
0: yeah I did got you have it out. to stop no we got him out but he went into the arm it was crazy and you know did you
1: pray him out you like talk to it like saint francis
0: no absolutely not be gone i should have
1: you know that's a pun
0: that was very okay. clever. okay puns uh, always kill banter
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry people I don't know. It's it's kind of late tonight.
0: Well, yeah, we were doing this strategic planning with Father Goebel and his new pro and that means getting things Father in order. John
1: is doing strategic planning. He
0: asked me. He asked me, and uh, so so Mike has been very Father Mike has been very patient tonight. We're starting late, and I begged him to do the topic because we've been doing a lot of podcasting in the last couple of weeks, man, and I think I'm running out of
1: well, you better you better be able to talk. Because this is not, sometimes I bring one that's like, here, let me teach. Yeah. Right? And this one is not like that. So I don't know where it's going to go. All right. We might just hit, you know, dead time for a little bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's what you get. So uh, you're keeping an eye on the time and the clicks. Yep.
0: 669 clicks. I don't know what that is. So How
1: have we done 450 episodes <laughs> and still don't know what a click means?
0: Okay. So I'll watch it now.
1: Right on. Okay, so um, I go to do, well, I had two, like, really powerful moments this evening, and I thought we could talk about them. Um, one was an anointing I did hmm. at the local hospital, a guy who has uh, cancer, and he's in the oncology floor, and, um, and then the other one is um, a confirmation and first communion mass that I went to immediately after so there was this huge contrast, and it's just, like, on my heart and on my mind right now. And I want to kind of process it. With yeah. You. Sounds good. So I don't know, like, which to start with, but I might switch back and forth. Sounds good. So I go to visit this guy in the hospital, and his name is Brian. And um, he, when I showed up, he was kind of out of it, like half out of it and half um, present. Well, he, it looked like he was sleeping. Um, he was obviously on medication, and I didn't know how conscious he was. But I go in and I say, "Hello, Brian. You know, are you? I'm Father Mike. I'm here to visit. Um, are you awake? Um, can I talk to you?" And and he still got his eyes closed, and he's looks like he's kind of sleeping. But he says, "Father, come in. You know, yes, I want to okay. talk to you." And so he had his family had called and said that uh, Father Brian had. Anointed him a few days prior, a few days ago, and but he wanted to talk to a priest, and he was kind of out of it during the anointing. So he, they told him that he was anointed, and he was very happy about that. And then he said, "I still, I want to talk to a priest." So I went, and um, so I just told him, "Hey, you know, they said that you wanted to talk to a priest," and he says, "Yes," and he nods, but his eyes are closed, and he's laying there, and he looks like he had been in some serious pain. And maybe was at the time, um, and so I said, "Well, you know, what would you like to talk about?" I'm here. You know, I pull up a chair and I got real close, and he started. He started in, and uh, it was very difficult for him to articulate anything.
0: Mm.
1: He was going in and out of different stories. There was no logic to it. I couldn't connect it. Um, I tried very hard to understand. Like there was, seemed to be some sort of concern or turmoil. But I didn't know the nature of it. Um, it didn't seem like he was trying to confess something. He was like he was trying to tell a story, but he, he would just get confused and flipping all over the place. And um, and I told him, I like, man, I can't understand. Um, could you repeat?" And and w- so we didn't get anywhere. But um, I felt bad for him because I'm like this guy. He, I mean, he wants to express something. He wanted to talk to a priest, and I just and he can't he can't do that, right? He can't communicate. Um, in any, like, understandable way. So um, I told him, you know, Brian, I, I would like to understand, but I'm having a hard time understanding. And so um, he could respond. I could tell that if, if I asked him a question, he could respond. He would say yes, he would say no. Um, he didn't show much, like, body language, like, reaction. But um, So I started to just talk to him and ask him questions. And um, and some of that was like, um, do you need to make a confession? No, Father. Um, your family was here, and this is kind of—I I can't recall exactly the order of these things. But um, your family was here; they love you very much. Do you know that, Brian? Yes, Father. Um, they. Um, do you have Do you have concerns from your life? And he says. Yes, Father, um, I say, well, um, is it you know are you worried about um, how you stand with God? Are you at peace with God? and he says, yes, at peace and so I'm wondering, like, okay, so I mean, he has this concern he wants to talk to a priest, but he feels right with God, like he doesn't want he doesn't need a confession he doesn't um I don't know it was that that wasn't his concern so Finally, I just didn't know what to do, but I I offered, hey, let's say a prayer and um and then we'll pray a rosary together. And so I said kind of an extemporaneous prayer and it was um just um thanking God for life and for all of the graces throughout his life and um and um thanking Jesus for his act of salvation and the Holy Spirit for inspiring us and um all the many ways that God had worked in his life and all of these things, and at various points he was saying, "Amen, amen and then there was a kind of a pickup in energy when I started saying, "Jesus, we we unite brian 's suffering t- to your own you know, and we pray with the suffering for all of those who he loves and um, and I invited him to call to mind the people that he loves and wants to pray for, and he was really energetic, like his body kind of came. Started moving and everything, and he was saying, "Amen, amen, yes." And I, so I could tell, there was like this, this kind of combination of a sort of sadness with life, a kind of looking back through this conversation, and also just this concern to um, to pray for people, you know, and and so in my mind, I mean, I don't know exactly, I don't know what he was going through, right? But it was it was very provocative, and in Um, And in the rosary, when we were praying the rosary, he was crying, I was crying, and we were just praying through it. And sometimes he would say, Hail Mary, or he'd get that much, or he'd get the Amen at the end. um, Or he'd say, you know, pray for us, or something like that, as we were going along. And it just made me think about this, um, well, the intense experience of dying. Especially when you can't communicate, um, or even maybe think clearly through what's going on and what life is about and so i've been praying about and thinking about this evening about like regrets you know what happens when you well let me switch back let me let me switch to the other part the confirmation so the the confirmation was beautiful these kids were fantastic um you can tell. I mean, they're just nervous. To
0: ch- and they're little guys, yeah.
1: Yeah, they're little kids. They're getting their first communion at the mm-hmm. same time. Um, their biggest fear, they're all nervous, but their biggest fear is like which hand is right. uh, You know, supposed to go under the other one or whatever. And how do I keep like six feet distance? They told me I was supposed to do that or whatever. So it was beautiful. The, like the innocence, the the uh, joy, the peace at that age. And uh, Father Brian was telling them, okay, now you, you got to be a saint. Now go be saints you know? And it was, that's beautiful. That's like what, what we want, right? And, um and I noticed that that's what this Brian guy wanted. So, I mean, it was, it was an inspiring moment, but then I was thinking on this guy, Brian, and he had a rosary next to his bed. He had this book about Padre Pio next to his bed. And um, he was praying along with me. You know, he was really moved by the idea of praying for people hmm. at that moment. And, and yet he was really crying and kind of suffering over um, looking at his life. I think he was at peace with God. I think he was okay with the thought of looking forward um, to heaven and uh, to death, really. And and also, like, I was asking him about his cancer and was he concerned about suffering. And he didn't seem to care about that. But he was noticeably agitated and um, affected by, mm. like these tears were coming with the the questions of life. And so, I guess one of the thoughts that I had was, we all, those of us who are dedicated Christians, we love Jesus, we want to be saints, and I think it's it's very possible. I think what was going through my heart while while I was crying was just the thought of getting to the end, persevering through the life of the Christian life. And then there being a sense of like a tinge of, of um, regret. Like there are things in life that have to be mourned. And even at the end, you're just kind of like, you know, I did my best, Mm -hmm. you know, was I that saint that I was trying to be since my first communion or, you know, every, every time I go to mass and every time I've made a good confession and all these things, and there's a certain, like, doubt I have. There was a, a sadness. Like, there are some there are some things that I can't, uh, that I've done that I can't undo. There are regrets of things that maybe I wish I had said, wish I hadn't said. Um, and it's not necessarily like sin. It's not like, you know, I have a habit of driving over the speed limit. And so I'm going to really feel sad about that at the end of life. It was just like, Life is so complicated that it's not, you know, w- w- it's hard to judge. And I think that's part of what this guy was going through. Certainly what my heart was going through, at suffering with this guy, was um, you know, when, do, when I get to the end of my life, I'm not afraid of, you know, not going to heaven. But there is like a sadness to, you know, have I lived right? Or have I lived as, as well as I could have? And I think for a lot of people, probably for most, the answer is no, if you're a perfectionist. And maybe that's what I was trying to let go of. But I think everyone has to kind of grapple with that. Um, And I know, like, okay, we talk to mostly young adults, I think, on the show. And most of us don't think about death and don't get that close. I mean, that's kind of a privilege of the priest. But people also have their, their relatives die and all of these things. And that's a part of life that... Um, just provokes this question of how do I judge my own life and is it right? Like, should I feel um, that kind of compunction and and even regrets? You know, what do you think about? Um,
0: there's a I lot. Know, there's a lot in that. I mean, that's like really that moment rich. of the end of life. Yeah,
1: and like, what is that sadness? Yeah. What is that suffering? If if you're at peace with God and you know you are, because this guy knew he was right, or he is. I mean, he's still going, but. Um, then what's that? What's that sadness? What are you mourning?
0: Yeah, I'm, uh, there's a lot, a lot in this. I think first off, it's uh, yeah, we we live in a world where we've we've created the circumstances to not have to think about death. You know, we kind of put it off in these in these facilities where people go and they just kind of disappear, and we just don't have. We just keep kind of jogging on the plat and you know whatever it might yeah. be
1: until uh, they get so close, and then we're relieved that they're dead.
0: Right. Um, the life of the priest is punctuated by these intense moments. I was telling these these newly ordained guys that I always felt like sick calls came at the most inconvenient moment ever, mm-hmm. and I always left like profoundly changed. Like you know uh, how pe- how petty so much of the things I've been dwelling on or thinking about. it. So it, it these encounters with men like Brian and. Um, yeah I had a guy on Sunday who I was talking to after mass, and won't share details, but he just wept through the whole our whole conversation hmm. um it was uh it was just a uh something was going on and you, you didn't really know i didn't know what to say i i'm sure I didn't say anything particularly helpful to him but um
1: yeah but it's something hard to know. it's hard to something know was
0: to happening, and I think if I was gonna say one thing. Just in reply, or, or one thought tying into what you're saying, it's that um, the peace of God is a byproduct of His love dwelling in us, which means it's not just that we eradicate all of the regrets of our life. You know what I mean? I think oftentimes we think of peace as just the absence of war. So yeah, when if I, stop, I can fix everything, when I stop feeling bad, you mm-hmm. know, uh, then then I'm at peace and So there's something, it's not contradictory, but it's paradoxical about that this man could be so, like, experiencing the the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace, um, but simultaneously kind of acknowledging regrets in that and the sadness that comes from a lot of brokenness in life. And again, not just sin, but but just the brokenness and the weakness of living in a fallen world and being redeemed in that. And I, I think that... I don't know, it's it's always a mystery the way these final hours, these final days come to be. But I think for many people, uh, there's it's really mixed in there. There's a, a deep sense of the sorrow for life, the valley of tears that we're passing out of as part of the final kind of catharsis um, into yeah. Christ, you know?
1: I mean, part of that is, I'm going to miss everybody, you know? This is real. There's a separation that's going to happen. And... Um, yeah, I think that point you you're making about the the peace and um, and the love of God, the indwelling of the the Spirit, and just that I, I mean, it helps me to to start to kind of distinguish between like everything has to be sort of controlled in life. Right. There is no brokenness, or I figured out how to get out of that. And, uh, and the difference between that and God loves me, and I'm grounded in that. Um, but even then, it's like, well, the, the brokenness and chaos and trouble of life is real, and it's, it stays, and you can still suffer that, and also um, have a different kind of peace.
0: Yeah. I, 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 don't, I think it's a false peace when we kind of buy into the slogan of, like, no regrets. I got no yeah, reg- I got I no see. regrets, you know? I just I live my life and yeah I made some mistakes, but yeah. no regret. It's like no, we have regrets. I I know you and I do. We've talked about them. Yeah. Um I find when I pass over an anniversary of priesthood every year I I I regret many of the ways that I've acted. And I'm not just talking about like sins, but just um the, the limitations uh, and the falsehood and the lies and the confusion of my own life and the human heart what, that line from Jeremiah right more torturous than all things is the human mm-hmm. heart right, um, yeah and uh, but also in Christ we don't we're not defeated by the regrets so it's not this either or it's not either I acknowledge regrets regrets and I just collapse uh, in 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 the pain uh, of it but it's also not just this kind of like I have no regrets. Yeah. I'm fine with everything I've You're done. You're
1: not taking life seriously.
0: Yeah, but both of those extremes we're able to kind of there's a middle way, but it has to be in Christ and I think it's because the because of the divine indwelling that he actually mm. comes into the soul. That's what in grace and something of his life communicates this peace that says I now am capable of ab- of abiding in the reality of my existence which is Got regrets. It's got a lot of good, but it's also and then mixed with all kinds of things, like you said, with sorrow and um, bidding farewell, um, and then the actual suffering. So,
1: so I, I looked up some scriptures that I I just kind of brainstormed, and then looked up some scriptures that I love um, related to, I guess what what I saw as this end of life judgment. You are looking back at your life and saying, "Am I proud of it? Am I content with it?" this is where regret kind of relates you know and i think we can we can be proud of our um i mean it's kind of like a it's, it's like an 80 20 thing i think naturally we look at the the negatives right so you could have a life full of wonderful positive things but at the end of the day you know when you're getting close to death it's like well yes my life is beautiful in all these ways, but you can't just say, okay, look on the bright side. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a reality to um, the difficult stuff. So some of the things from uh, the new Testament that helped me in this situation. And I think going through life kind of at various stages, like you say, like an anniversary, or you have that confession where you're looking and you're like, I just wish I was, over this stuff. I want to be a saint. Why can't I be that saint that I want to be? Or there's a relationship in life where this is really hard or it's broken or there's, um, all kinds of expectations that we have that we're disappointed by God or something like that. So things are just much more complex than when you're a kid and you're told, Hey, be a saint. And you're like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I want to do that. I remember wanting to do that, you know? Um, okay. So one is from, um, St. Paul, and this is in First Corinthians uh, four three. He says, "I care very little." This is NIV. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Only Christ can judge me. And uh, I think that's I think that's very important. Where if we sp- if we spend our time judging ourselves or trying to figure that out, like comparing ourselves to other, is um, I, ju- I am judged by you, or I'm judged by a human court. You know, what do people think? I get into I get into this um, when I walk around in a collar out there. What do people think of me? And I can get all kinds of worked up in my head, good, bad, whatever. Um, when it comes to speaking to other Christians, which Paul is doing, he says, I, I care very little if I am judged by you. And then finally he says, I don't even judge myself. Like, there's something beautifully freeing and very Christian about that saying, I can't judge. I don't know. I don't have the right perspective. I don't have a heavenly perspective on my life. And there are times when you have to say, you know, for the sake of virtue and growth and holiness, because we have to stay committed to it, I have to say, that's not right. I'd like to change that. Or, this is right. I need to kind of push into this. Um, but I think it's important to recognize that we can't submit ourselves to judgment, you know, even our own yeah. sort of criticism. Yeah. And that's going to be harder, a harder way of life, right?
0: I think, that's, uh, I think that, that gets to the heart of it, that um, I don't even judge myself. What I think Paul is not saying is, no regrets. If you said to Paul... Uh, you regret anything you said to uh, Barnabas, you know, right before you guys had that right. major falling out and you actually went to different, you know, countries after that? Um, I think you'd be like, yeah, you know what? Uh, that probably didn't go as well as it could've. I could have said some things differently. I, sometimes we read Paul as like this, like, turbo choleric who just doesn't care about anything and anyone and just, like, I'm not John. I don't care what you say. You know, and I right. think it's, I think what you're hitting at is something deeper, which is to say, if at the end of our lives we evaluate ourselves based on our successes or our regrets, the problem is not so much the regrets themselves or the successes. The problem is that we think that we can evaluate our life based on what we think it is. It's the mentality. It's Mm -hmm. the perception. And I think that's what Paul is free of and is inviting us to, is that um, we actually don't know the value and the meaning of our lives. We don't know what we've done. We don't know how we've affected people, and and if we set up the criteria and the and we evaluate that based on just how we see things, that's a it, that kind of self-referential mentality. Um, I think that's what leads us into the the either or of no regrets, and you just you know check out, and you don't think about anything, or you just despair and yeah, and uh, so.
1: Well, and I think of like I was looking at those kids in the in the confirmation, and the Holy Spirit is filling them right now. And the Holy Spirit promises fruits, all of these beautiful things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And, and I was, I'm kind of mourning as, as, a, as a confessor, as a spiritual counselor to a lot of people, as a pastor of souls. I'm, I was sad to think that these kids um, are going to bear so much fruit in their life And not be able to see it because we don't get to see it. You know, we go through, God has given us grace upon grace, is going to do amazing things throughout life, and we don't necessarily get to notice it, you know. Um, And that's kind of why I think Paul is warning us against, you know, that self judgment Mm -hmm. because you don't get to see everything. You don't know, you don't know what God is doing, you don't know how many people you affect. You don't know. Sometimes you get some feedback. Sometimes you realize things. But the majority of it, no. Uh, here's another quote that's similar. This is another one from Paul. Um, For we have died to this life, and our life is hidden with Christ in God. Um, Matt Book likes to, Father Matt Book likes to remind me of this one. Um, it's very similar. Um, Our own self-judgment, our own self, has died Mm. with Christ. And now our life is hidden with Christ in God. We cannot be the judge. You can't say, I have been great, I have been pathetic. Um, We don't know. All that fruit, we don't know. It's hidden in God. And God has this sort of treasury that he will reveal to us in the end, in heaven. But in the meantime we don't get to see all those things. So, this, I mean, this this guy who's there, sitting there, who's prayed throughout his life, who I can tell is a holy person, um, and who's mourning real, the reality of his life. I feel like he's kind of letting go with his tears. Letting go of things that God doesn't hold against him, and he trusts that God loves him. But he needs to let go of that stuff, you know. It's so it's not in the end. It's not a bad thing for him to be crying. It's not a bad thing for him to be suffering over the fallenness and brokenness of his own life. Um, it would be a bad thing if he despaired right. because of it. Right. Like you're saying, like you, there's there's a balance. There's somewhere in between. But in that in between is like, I I can feel regret. I can feel sorrow about things that have gone wrong or things that I don't understand why I have so much desire, holy desire, but I haven't been able to do that. Like I want to be serving people all the time. I want to, I want to be loving people all the time. I want to help people. I want to convert people. All these things that doesn't seem to be happening. All right. Or at least not as, not as, not proportionally to my desire. Right?
0: Yeah. I, uh, I'm really happy we're doing this topic and not the one that I was going to do because it was uh, inchoate at the best. It was just not there yet. But one of the things I've, I've been reading is Guardini, Romano Guardini, who's just unbelievable. Um, and uh, I mentioned this last time I my podcast with Goble. Um One of the things I read recently, though, it, that he's got me thinking about is thinking, um, learning to think qualitatively again. Uh and that, it sounds weird, but, you know, if you think of things quantitatively or qualitatively, the modern scientific mentality oftentimes leans towards, we have to quantify everything. And mm. we and we assess value based on quantity. How much money do you have? Or how many relationships do you have? Or how big is your parish? Or how many mm. books have you written? Um, and... Uh, I think this the 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 religious sense in man is a qualitative thing. What Jesus does is he doesn't fulfill things qu- in a quantitative sense. It's a it's a new qualitative reality mm. that enters into the world. Like what you saw what you were glimpsing in those children tonight or in this guy is you were seeing things qualitatively. There's an there's an impressing, there's a um an intensifying of something, but you can't Measure it out. You can't say how much grace the kid got or whatever. Um, and I think that's important when we assess and when we think about our lives. I mean, many of the people who have had the biggest impact on me have had very, very, very little conversation with me. The mm-hmm. priest who heard my confession and brought me back, he reconciled me to Christ, I've never seen him since. Yeah. He doesn't even know yeah. anything. And, and so these are the kind of qualitative experiences. The encounter I had with John Paul II the time I played racquetball with Archbishop, you know what I mean? You, There are memories that feel like they they are like coextensive with our lives. When you think about it, it's like, that it wasn't even that much quantitatively, yeah. but it's so impressed itself upon us. And I just wish that, um, yeah, I wish that, that that was something that was I was more aware of because I think that we become slaves to how many meetings am I gonna have with these people and a lot of quantifiable expectations mm. as priests instead of just like when people went out to the desert and they had ten minutes with with Anthony or Athanasius, it changed everything. They left everything uh yeah. you know, um because of that something of the quality of the soul.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean I yeah, I wanna be able to count up all the fruit. <laughs> Um, in a in a way, I mean, I think that's a an easy temptation. Um, but I I see what you're saying. Like, I think there were, you know, you have lots of ambitions when you're when you're a seminarian. It's like, oh, I'm gonna hear so many confessions over the time, and I'm gonna say so many masses and baptize lots of people and do all these weddings. I think one of the most powerful graces I ever had was in North Dakota. I it, and it was totally like n- unexpected. It was uh that we were asked to go to the jail one day and I ended up talking to this guy and he was he was uh decidedly starving himself to death. He would not he was refusing to eat mm. because he was miserable. He was in absolute despair. Nobody loved him. He didn't love anybody. He had nothing to live for. And he was uh not eating. And then we went and visited and he for whatever reason, we said a little prayer, and, well, he didn't want to pray, but I think, you know, maybe John McCauley and I said a little prayer with him, and we came back uh, a couple days later, and the guard said that he had started eating. Wow. And the guy didn't thank us. He didn't say anything. He wasn't smiling. He wasn't anything. He was still in this kind of sulky mood, but the next week, the guard had said he's, he's back to health. He's full. Um, not that he's happy, not that he's like religious or something, but I'm like, that was, that was a powerful grace. Yeah. That's like stayed, stayed with me yeah. in a very meaningful way. Cause I'm just so grateful that Jesus did that, uh, kind of put a crack in that, um, and brought some light in there into that jail cell. Um, and metaphor, you know, not just physically, but like of his heart and of his soul. And, um, and that's the kind of thing, like, uh, you know, when I'm dying, I'd love to remember that. Just to, like, fire that peace in my heart about how God works. And um, and just, like, the, the possibility that my being a Christian has done good things for the world, you know? Even just, like, presence. Just being there. Like, everybody. Mm-hmm. You know? That's not me. That's, like, everybody. Um, but then, part of this this struggle that I was having tonight was you can have Alzheimer's and you could be in terrible pain and be drugged out of your, you know, out of your senses. And then you don't get to select what you want to remember or what you don't. You don't get to, um, look back quantitatively or qualitatively. You can't, his mind wasn't functioning, you know? And I think that's part of the freedom of being, of being a Christian and just trusting in God. Mm-hmm. Our life is hidden with God. We can't judge. You get to a point where you can't judge. And that's okay. You know, it's it's not like he has to figure this out. It's not like that something has to be resolved before he dies. He's lived with Christ. He died with Christ a long time ago. And he's lived with Christ. And now, you know, the body goes through what it does, including, you know, the mind. And even if you're not at peace, if you're agitated, uh, then, you know, um, we can die that way. And we can die with God, you know? So, yeah, part of this was just like, how do you, do you need to let go of regrets? Should you? Do you have to? Um, You don't want to scrutinize yourself to the point where you're kind of paralyzed from being able to, to go on. And certainly not to despair. Like, God isn't working with me because I keep failing yeah, or because things are not resolved that I wish were resolved or any of this yeah. stuff. But even at the end, um, just kind of letting go yeah, and letting God, trusting God, you know, um, or having to do that yeah, because you keep, you don't have any other option.
0: I, I, as a final point, I would just say, I think that that's, that's the question of what do you do with your regrets? Well, it's not even the regrets themselves that you deal with it. The whole work is learning to love your life hidden, the hiddenness of life in God, loving that more than your own self-understanding of your experience. And I think that's the secret of the saints, and, I, and that's what you saw. These, uh, these uh, people are, are tapping into in different mysterious ways. So,
1: Yeah. And the kids, I mean, I, there was this kind of bittersweet thing where I'm like, yes, go be saints. And then I'm also thinking, you are saints. You've been consecrated by God. Mm-hmm. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You might not see that. Please don't beat up on yourself throughout life, right? Because I see a lot of Catholics doing that. It makes right. me sad. Yeah, you know? and it's hard. I see myself doing that. Um, so there's some trust there, and so just some some joy. Keep moving, persevere. Um, our life is hidden. You know, that's okay.
0: Amen. Well, it's almost ten, so speaking Uh-oh. of hiddenness, we better go.
1: You're supposed to keep a track of the calicism. ourselves
0: in bed. Um, so you got shout outs real quick before we shut her down
1: shout out to Tyler Eberly's sister-in-law who wrote a Roman Canon rap I listened to it it made me smile it made me laugh I think you should get a contract with Sony also shout out to Marcellus at the gas station you made my day just by being a cool dude and giving me a coupon and telling me to come back to the loaf and jug (laughs) because you are so happy to get a new loyal customer
0: that is funny Marcellus
1: marcellus he was marcellus. just nice dude this evening
0: oh that's funny i uh okay so i already gave ellie reinhardt a sh- uh, shout out you remember her your poetry friend yes, she's ellie. already she's contacting you for poetry um, please thank you we don't do shout outs of friends friends but she got an exception so john lane who's a dedicated listener friend of hers and hey, uh john. taking a new work he's in education and he's a vice principal uh doing good work good catholic man so john thanks for listening to the podcast.
1: Alright, right on. God bless you, everybody.
0: Let's go to bed. Catholic Stuff podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Great topic tonight, Mike.
1: Right on. <laughs> Blessings, people.